This season of Coffee with Strangers is presented by Chesapeake Bank. Whether you're looking for a mortgage, checking account, savings, business accounts, or free Tootsie Rolls, Chesapeake Bank has all the products the big banks have without the phone trees. Plus, it's easy to switch banks or start something new with them. Visit ChessBank.com CWS to learn more. Chesapeake Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. My name is Melissa Face. I am a teacher at the Athletics Regional Governor's School. I teach world literature, English 10, um, sophomores. Gosh, there's so many reasons I write. I don't remember not writing. I remember a time when I wasn't a teacher. I don't remember not writing. It started with really bad poetry as a teenager because I was upset with my parents, so I can thank them for that. Um, I had a pretty uneventful, I'm going too far, but um, pretty uneventful high school life because I was usually grounded. So I was writing in my room. Since then, I wrote for academia for years, but it was also always my way of figuring things out. So I had a problem, something that I was going through, writing is what I turned to. And that's still the case today. My book is a collection of 24 essays about parenting written in real time which is something that makes it different from other parenting collections so it starts with the moment that i found out i was pregnant with my first child so standing in the bathroom holding the positive pregnancy test that feeling of wanting to share with everyone and celebrate but then also being afraid and wanting to hold on to it just a little bit until i knew things were okay so it goes from there until sending my younger child to school for the first time so it's a span of eight years, but it's all in real time. I had published a lot of them other places, women's magazines and some anthologies, and I had the idea to do something with them, but I wasn't sure just what. And then one day when my daughter was three and a half, she climbed up into my lap. We were sitting in my kitchen. She got in my lap and said, mom, do you like me more than candy? I said, yes, Delaney, I like you more than candy. And she said, what about cookies? said, I like you more than cookies, Delaney. And she was just in this phase where she was trying to see where she rated in our lives, you know, where do I fit? And then finally she said, very seriously, what about coffee? Do you like me more than coffee? And I said, you're not really gonna ask me to choose, are you? And even at three and a half, like she got that, she knew that was funny. She was laughing, I was laughing. And then I had that light bulb moment where I was like, this is it, this is, an essay title, it's a fun way to package it, to market it, and that's the tale of I love you more than coffee. Well, I guess my goal, like most writers would say, is to be read. I want people to read it. I hope that people will relate to it. Um, I write hopeful pieces. I write to celebrate motherhood, parenthood. Um, I feel like even on the worst days that there's still a better day coming and we've had some bad days. <laughs> I think most parents would say that if they're being honest. And so that's a big part of it. I want people to read it and to relate to it. But for me as a writer, I don't know if you wanna know that part or not, but of course I hope it's the first of many. I hope that it is not necessarily the one that makes it big, but the one that leads to something else. And then that leads to something else. And I think the fact that I'm willing to put the work in is gonna make a lot of that happen. I'm not expecting any of it to happen while I'm sleeping. Like I want to promote it. I enjoy the marketing. I like meeting people. I like talking about it. So it was one of those things that I had all ready to go 
April 16th was the on-sale date. And then my publisher, my rep contacted me and said, this is just not a good idea. Like we're in this pandemic. Not only are there not any events, but shipping is a problem. So somebody could order your book online and then not get it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then how is that gonna look? Are we gonna have returns? So at first I was like, okay, I guess my biggest downfall, if you can call it one, is that I was afraid people were gonna be tired of hearing about it, tired of me promoting because you can only saturate your own Facebook page and your own <laughs> friends with so much, right? So I was concerned about that. But then the blessing has been all of this extra time to find different ways to get the word out. So I've spent a lot of this time writing new material and using that as a way to reach people and like, what do you need content on? Let me write it. You let me plug my book at the end, we've got a deal. So in that way, it's been really helpful. I think hope, hope is key because I write about the rough stuff, the bad days, the day when you try to do everything right and your daughter walks over to you covered in a packet of maple syrup right before you need to leave for work, like that sort of thing that we all go through. And the fact that hope is what we're all clinging to right now. And I just, what are we without that? I feel like it's huge and that's a big part of what my book is about. And I feel that it's also hopeful and helpful without being preachy because it was never my intent to make it something to help other people, yet it does. It has takeaways, but it's not self-help. It's not a lecture. When a mom or dad reads this collection, they are definitely going to see themselves, their own parenting, and a lot of their kids' antics in the essays that I've written. It's definitely relatable. Well, I think that it's fair for all of us to say that the spring was a wild ride. We didn't know it was coming. We didn't know that it was gonna hit the way it did. And we all scrambled. I think teachers everywhere would say that we were in a position of scrambling, of putting together what we could, the best we could, and to reach our students in any way that we could. And it was a challenge. Now, we're starting virtually. We know that for the first nine weeks that our students will be taught virtually. I'll be at home with my two children teaching my roughly 100 sophomores. So we have a plan. We all have the same template, so to speak, the same platform that we're using. And it's going to be organized. It's going to be handled better. The kids are going to have the technology that they need. And a lot of those efforts were made before. It was just that it happened so quickly. I mean, we had the rug pulled out from under us nationwide, worldwide. This is my 15th year of teaching and it's my sixth year at my current school. But I think for a lot of us, it's gonna feel like year one and it's okay to say that. Um, we're educators, we're used to changing, to modifying and adjusting to use the proper lingo. So we're no strangers to that and it's gonna be fine. Um, relationships, I feel like that has been my strength throughout my teaching career is working with my students in a way that they know that I care about them and that it's so much more than the book we're reading, than the essay they're writing, than the quiz they have to take, than their vocab. Like it's them as people. And establishing that 
when we're beginning online, I mean, it was a challenge enough to maintain the relationships that we had back in the spring that had already been fostered throughout the majority of the year. But now we're beginning this way. How do I make sure my students know that I know who they are, that I care who they are, that I know that they are different from the students sitting next to them? Well, of course, they're not sitting next to them anymore, right? A lot of times with technology, it takes the personal aspect out of it. The magic can be lost through Zoom, through Google Classroom. So remembering and being intentional about it and calling them by name and something that you have learned about them, whether it's through a journal entry that they've written or an essay, to make sure that you let them know in some way that you know something about them. And that is huge. And I use that in the classroom. So now making sure that I transfer that over. In the classroom, it's so easy because I can see them at an event. My students are artists, so I might hear them sing at an assembly. And then that's something that I can mention in class quietly that they did a great job or I enjoyed hearing them or something to that effect. And it starts to build that relationship. So it's going to be a challenge. There are ways, and I know that's something that I have to work on. I'm more concerned about that than I am with content, because if you have the relationship, the content's gonna come pretty easily. Real quick, we're proud to once again be working with Chesapeake Bank for the 2020 season of Coffee with Strangers. Chesapeake Bank is all about community and knows that we don't have to be together to come together. Learn more at chessbank.com together. Summer reading is a requirement for us and we have certain selections that are required at each grade level. We also have a whole lot of flexibility, but one of the novels, novella actually, that I've taught over the past few years is The Metamorphosis. And this year it just seemed like it was not the time. And it's a great work. We'll read it later in the year, but I felt like we needed to start with something relevant and I consulted with my department chair and she suggested The Hate You Give. Some of our students already read that in a more um, specialized elective class called Thematic Studies. They had been reading that. So I knew it was approved. I didn't have any worries there. But it is a really heavy work and I didn't realize how relevant it would be in terms of a death resulting from an officer shooting. And then the other aspect of it that is so important that I'm waiting to see if students will address in their writing is this duality of life that I know so many of my students experience where you are one person at school and then another person at home. And I know that's something that many of my students in the past have found challenging. There are still a lot of people who see us as the white school even though ARGS is extremely diverse, pulling from 14 different districts. We have a population that mirrors the state better than most schools do in terms of diversity, but there are still people around who see it as the white school. So then these students face a lot of issues within their own neighborhoods and perhaps sometimes even families because of where they attend school. And they behave often in very different ways at home and in that setting than they do at school. So our character in the novel experiences that because she goes to a school on another part in another part of town. So I feel like that's going to surface. It's not something I'm going to bring up. I might have a journal topic 
that I assign. Journaling is so great. It's one of the best things that I do with my classes because you're able to reach kids in a way that's non-threatening where they can share it, but they don't have to. And if they don't want me to read it, I don't have to do that either. I often just check to see that it's there unless it's one that is set to be graded. I think the biggest part is exposure. And luckily, literature helps us a lot with that. So we get these voices, these other characters, these teenagers who don't look like you. They don't look like your friends from home, from your youth group or Boy Scouts or what have you. And I think that that's the first place you start is for students in class to know who you're sitting next to and that their life is probably not at all like yours. And learning about them and respecting them regardless of where they come from. In terms of literature changing behavior and opening students' eyes, I've seen that more in the past couple of years than in all of my other years of teaching. When I started teaching Leaving Atlanta by Tayari Jones, it is a novel told from students' point of view. And it's about the Atlanta um, child murders, if you're familiar with that, in the late 70s, early 80s. And the fact that it's told from these kids' point of view, and you really get insight into their home lives, and then the discussions happen. Then oftentimes students will say, yeah, like my dad's told me that same thing, or I remember when my mom used to do my hair that way, and then conversation starts. That's the great thing about the age group I have is that they like to share right now. They want people to know and that's probably true for a lot of our youth overall, is that they have stories to tell and they just want people to listen. I think that picking up the book is still the answer though. Picking up literature to understand another point of view. If you can't actually have a conversation with someone from another culture, from another area who's different than you are, whose life experiences have not mirrored yours, if you can't actually chat with them, then reading is the next best thing. What keeps me going with literature is the fact that I want to know more and I want to understand. You had mentioned a few minutes ago about where does a person begin? And I think the only answer is to just begin. Like you're gonna mess up. There are gonna be times where you say the wrong thing or at least with the best intentions, it didn't come out the way you wanted to. And then you learn from it and you do better the next time. I consult my department chair, other members of the English department to find out how to handle tough pieces of literature, see what they've done in the past, what type of student responses I might expect. But I think the biggest part is that I try and that I want to understand and I want to do better. And even if I can't understand, and I'm not always gonna understand, but if I can just respect and give people space to talk and I can listen, then I'm doing my job. Listening is huge and we're terrible at it because we're often waiting to respond. We're waiting for that moment to, well, about me. You know, let me tell you about my experience instead of just listening, perhaps reflecting a little bit, validating whatever that person was trying to convey. And we don't do a good job regardless of the topic or listen to somebody about a relationship issue and it's like, oh, well, let me tell you what my husband said. We're just, we fail in that area. We have to do better. So of course it's a problem now. 
if you're blurting and if you're trying to interject your opinion or perhaps even override someone else's experience with one that you've had because we've always suffered more, struggled harder, right? Whatever it is that we want to plug in is going to be more powerful than that person we're listening to, which is defeating the purpose. And that's not why they came to you, but you're gonna grow because if you're really listening, then you're not doing those other behaviors and you're gonna grow from the experience. Despite the stress and the unknowns that we're all contending with right now, I'm still excited about starting the year. I mean, these are 100 kids, roughly, who are waiting to learn something. In fact, they're already emailing me wanting to know what supplies they need because if I don't tell them until Labor Day, that's too late. <laughs> they're excited, they wanna know now, do we need a journal? What else can we have so we can be prepared? So I still feel that same level of excitement about meeting them, even though it's gonna be virtually, we're gonna make it work and we're gonna read some great stuff that we haven't read before and we get to kick off the year with a really powerful piece.